0: love
1: talk radio hello <clears throat> this is gigabit nation broadband talk radio i'm your host craig settles and i want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public private and nonprofit organizations get more better broadband everywhere that it needs to be we are at a interesting phase here uh in in the broadband universe Um, As you recall, in uh, 2009, uh, the administration started uh, the broadband stimulus program as part of a bigger stimulus package, and it uh, directed some $7.5 billion into uh, programs that were geared toward uh, building broadband infrastructure uh, to uh, generate uh, computing centers, Uh, all across the U.S., and to also uh, support and promote broadband adoption programs. And at this juncture, you know, a logical question is, Where are we? What has happened with the program, the participants, the recipients? Uh, What's next if uh, a lot of these programs are coming to their conclusion? So, you know, what happens next is a big question on some people's minds. And so I decided that while I'm here at the um, Shelby Conference, and Shelby is the um, Schools, Health, uh, and Libraries Broadband Coalition which is an organization that, uh, among other things, has been extremely supportive of the Department of Commerce's uh, part of the broadband stimulus program through an organization called BTOP. And uh, I decided to bring the executive director on the show today while we're here at the conference to talk about the the program and where we are and what we can expect uh, next. And that would be John Winhausen. And John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. Nice to be here. And so, so John, let's start with uh, what is Shelby? Because I kind of came and in, was introduced to Shelby sort of sideways, and showed up at a conference one day, and there was all these people that were, you know, B top recipients. But I never actually fully got the picture of when did you guys start, and what did you start, you know, as your mission, and then how did the B top Uh, support, if you will, become part of your overall mission. Right.
2: Well, I'm happy to talk about that. Uh, So we started the Shelby Coalition in 2009 and uh, it it was right after the stimulus bill had passed the Congress and, of course, there was that funding provision that created the BTOP program Mm -hmm. and it specifically called for broadband to be prioritized to community anchoring so we thought it would be a good idea to help to make that happen okay. uh, and to support that that statutory language, because you know, just because it's written into the law doesn't always mean that the, <laughs> uh, the federal government agencies that are implementing it do it the right way. So mm-hmm. we we thought let's pull together um, <clears throat> schools and and uh, healthcare providers, libraries, and and other anchor institutions. So higher education, community colleges, public media, community centers, uh, even public safety. And the idea was let's try to form a coalition that uh, uh, also included the industry mm-hmm. and broadband providers okay. and provide kind of a comprehensive set of people that support the overall mission. Mm-hmm. So we put this together uh, in the spring of 2009. Um, we didn't know what our name was going to be, actually. We, we debated for about two months okay. about what we call ourselves. and. And so we wanted to be inclusive, so we included schools, health, and libraries. All right, so you got the main mission in there. We got the main mission, but not exclusively those three. We're also open to other anchor institutions. Mm -hmm. And then uh, somebody made the mistake of trying to call us by our four initials, the Schlub Coalition. I remember hearing about that. So we said, well, we we can do better than that. (laughs) (laughs) So we renamed ourselves the Shelby Coalition, and that's how we got started. We launched in a, a... press conference at the Martin Luther King Library in Washington, D.C. in June June of 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it it turns out that, uh, you know, our first goal was to support that BTOP program Mm -hmm. um, uh, behind that uh, message of open, affordable, high-capacity broadband for anchor institutions. Um, And then as we got more involved, uh, the FCC was looking at E-rate reform back then. Right, okay. U.S. Ignite uh, came on the scene and the Connect America Fund reforms and, and a whole lot of work. And we found that our message was carrying not just with the BTOP program, but these other proceedings as well. And it, it really seemed to be a need for a voice for community anchor institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of talk about getting broadband to residential consumers, which we support. But nobody was really speaking up um, on behalf of broadband for community anchors. Okay. So that's our mission if you will, that's what sets us apart from all the other organizations. Okay. That we're really community anchor institution focused. Right. Um, and, and our theory is that um, anchor institutions are like the third leg of the stool for a healthy community. Mm-hmm. You need broadband to the businesses, but they usually can get it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need broadband to the home, and that's an important piece. But oftentimes you need uh, strong community anchors as the third piece of that puzzle, if you will. And if you can build out to the schools and libraries and other anchors, that makes it easier then to extend off of that to build to the home. Okay. So um, we think that a smart build strategy can be a, an efficient way to go rather than build it and they will come, mm-hmm. which we know doesn't work. That's overly... You you might invest too fast before the market is ready. But if you build to the anchor institution,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know you got a customer, okay? You know, who's gonna somebody who's going to generate demand on that network, uh, and that can be a successful sort of phased build out strategy that might be more successful. Right,
1: and you also have the advantage, as I was telling folks in the workshop that I ran yesterday, when you deal with some of the anchor institutions you are able to reach a broad audience for the purposes of broadband adoption for less money and effort than if you had to reach all those individuals on your own nickel.
2: Right. That's you know, right.
1: So if you have the schools behind it, then by default you have the students and their parents. If you get a financial institution, though, granted it's a business, but but, but it's an institution in the sense that there's lots of customers. It has a you know recognized established position within the community, and so if all of a sudden they decide, well, it's important for us to get our customers online, then again they reach out because they have those relationships. Mm-hmm. And the same way with libraries, because libraries have their niche, if you will, of constituents, and so this this is um, you know. It facilitates the physical infrastructure build out, but it also goes
2: a long way to help the the, the marketing it part does. of the process. It does, okay. and and uh, you know, two additional uh, thoughts to to build off of what you say, Craig. Uh, there's been some academic research that shows that if you build broadband to the school, that the residential consumers are more likely to subscribe to broadband, mm-hmm. and we don't exactly know why that is, but it could be that uh, the network is more available. If you built to the school, then maybe it's easier to extend that network to the home. So it could be from a technological reason. Another reason is that the kids like the broadband that they get at the school, mm-hmm. and then they go home and tell their parents about it. Right. And they say, hey, we need broadband here, too, if I'm going to do my school work, my homework assignments, or collaborate with my other students or the teachers. So mm-hmm. it could be that that sort of motivates the the, the parents to say all right we got to keep our, get our own broadband connection here at home if we're going to educate our students correctly okay so now that, the, that, that's if I could sorry, just say, no, no, that's no, no, just the schools but there's also a big component of that for the libraries mm-hmm. and as you know libraries have really been reinventing themselves to take maximum advantage of this technology and they're they're increasingly librarians are providing training to people educating them about digital literacy mm-hmm. and how to get on the computer and how to get an internet connection how to buy broadband and then what services they can use once they get that connection right so libraries are a really key factor in promoting broadband deployment also broadband adoption mm-hmm. and you and you guys got Don
1: Means involved I see on on the board and Don's yeah. been a big uh, yep. proponent of the library strategy if you will of broadband and uh, if you do a search on past uh, Gigabit Nation shows, you'll actually find a couple of interviews that uh, that I've done with Don to get his take on on that library component. Now, the the conferences would it be accurate to describe those as a combination progress reporting and also uh, assisting those the uh, top recipients? Because it seems like we're doing. Both. I mean, especially this
2: yeah. year yeah. with
1: the workshops that you guys uh, developed on the front end of this.
2: Right. Well, the broadband ecosystem is pretty diverse, mm-hmm. right? There are a lot of components to it, and we're trying to expand our reach, if you will, and address a lot of these different factors that influence whether work actually is, is built and deployed successfully, generates the revenues, generates the, the customers, uh, and then uh, increase our involvement with these federal policy proceedings. So um, uh, the workshops, you're right. So we had one on on, uh, the Healthcare Connect Fund at the FCC. uh, And we had a a workshop around um, how to sustain uh, public computer center projects and broadband adoption projects through the BTOP program. And we had your workshop on Gigabit Nation, which Mm -hmm. was really valuable. And that's all as a lead-in to now this conference, the main conference on Thursday and Friday, today and tomorrow which uh, we have about 300 people here, which is more than we've ever had. Oh, you do have a pretty big crowd. I didn't realize yeah. that it was such a big crowd this year. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, we're growing. Um, and what's interesting, Craig, and I, I, I don't know if um, this fits exactly within your, your, your message, but the number of BTOP participants in the conference has been declining because the BTOP funds have been uh, – those projects have been coming to an end. So Mm -hmm. they don't have as much federal funding Mm -hmm. to be able to pay their travel expenses to come here. But we've been able to make up more than that by increasing our attractiveness to community organizations, state broadband officials, uh, private sector companies who are now coming in and more than making up for the the reduction in BTOP personnel and we're broadening our – our uh, reach to include a lot of these other sectors that are involved in this broadband ecosystem. Okay. So you are definitely then <clears throat> creating an ongoing role for
1: the organization, and very similar to broadband, it is a, a an evolving role.
2: Yes. And, yeah. Uh, and actually, I can speak to that mm-hmm. uh, with some specifics too. When we were first formed in 2009, I think most of us thought we were a short-term project. So mm-hmm. we just we didn 't establish bylaws or any particular. We just had a loose coalition that that got involved in uh, sticking our nose in a bunch of issues for a couple <laughs> of years and uh, it turns out we had some impact mm-hmm. and people said, "Hey, this is working pretty well and it was actually our conference uh, two years ago in two thousand and twelve when we uh, drew a large crowd and a lot of people said good things about our work. We said, "Hey, well, maybe we should start to think of ourselves as a long term." institution. Mm-hmm. So we've, uh, we incorporated. And we filed our articles of incorporation. We filed our 501c3 application with the IRS. We named a formal board of directors, got bylaws together. Uh, and Don Means, as you mentioned, is the chairman mm-hmm. of the board, but we have a board of 12 members. Um, and we've been very fortunate to receive some funding from the Gates Foundation Uh, to support our activities, and the Knight Foundation in Miami has been very helpful. Mm -hmm. And then we have membership dues as well, and we just added four new members in the last couple of months uh, to the Shelby Coalition roster. So we've got, I think, a a nice solid future ahead of us. We Mm -hmm. seem to be uh, filling a a real need, and and the attendees at the conference is growing, our membership is growing, and so uh, we're we're excited about our future. Interesting. Now, do you do any kind of... um
1: uh, support role in between these I know like for example the the uh, Private of the home council as an example, has its main conference and then they have these regional conference and broadband communities magazine has a similar kind of main conference and then smaller uh conferences are Are you guys going to be strictly once a year as far as the conference get together part or
2: um you know, that's sort of a work in progress uh, because we, uh, these annual conferences have been going very well, but we're also interested in holding and um, participating in other events. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. One is we had a seminar last fall just on E-Rate. That was just a one-day small smaller event, but we got um, 120 people came and, and uh The webinar attracted another 120 people online who watched it, so that was very interesting. But I think the thing that we're most excited about is this idea of um, creating state Shelby coalitions. Okay. You know, we're a national organization based in Washington, D.C. We have members from all over the country, but our focus is on federal policies. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're kind of creating a template here, and we're encouraging some states to say, hey, maybe we should form our own Shelby organization uh, within the state to do that same kind of work and help to work on the state broadband policies.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, what's really fascinating to me is that, yes, we have a national broadband plan. We also ought to have every state ought to have their own state broadband plan.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, the Shelby Coalition or a state Shelby Coalition could be very instrumental in helping to put that plan together. So we're very interested in in, in – I mentioned this yesterday to some of the state broadband mapping people at a conference that was – a pre-conference, another pre-conference that was being held yesterday that Shelby would like to work with different states as they're putting together their ideas. And two people today have come up to me, one from Michigan and one from Oregon, Mm -hmm. saying, hey, we'd like to take you up on that. We'd like to be involved. And California is also looking at that. Some folks in California uh, have talked to – uh, the commissioner, the PUC commissioner in California, and she's uh, exploring the idea of pulling together a group of people to, to consider forming a, a California chapter of the Shelby Coalition, if you will. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of exciting things being talked about.
1: Excellent, excellent. So one of the you know obvious questions uh, for for folks on on the outside viewing all of this is where are we in terms of a lot of these uh, projects, which uh, you, you mentioned earlier was, you know, we, we're at the conclusion of a number of those. And then, you know, what kinds of things can we expect next? So if you were to give a overall summary for the BTOP side, now there, mm-hmm. there are two sides. There's the RUS, which is the Department of Agriculture, and that's the, the rural utilities, lots of last mile projects. BTOP... Programs were were a lot of um, middle mile projects, computing centers at the grassroots level, and broadband adoption campaigns at the grassroots level. Mm-hmm. How would you um, assess the uh, like the infrastructure project? I have, a, I have a feeling or a sense that most of them finish actually on time and 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 at least within budget. What's your take on the you know, the success, the progress of the of the recipients?
2: No, I, th- I think the BTOP program has been a fabulous success. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there may have been a, a couple of uh, wrinkles, a, a couple of problem areas, but 98% of those projects uh, not only um, you know, completed their, their projects on time, but completed so successfully with mm-hmm. demonstrable results. So I think NTIA's report says that overall it connected so far, about 20,000 community anchor institutions have been connected with a very high capacity broadband that they didn't have before. So that's a, a huge uh, step in the right direction. Um, it doesn't solve the problem because our estimate is that there are something like 200,000 uh, anchor institutions out there. So maybe BTOP connected around 10% mm-hmm. of all the anchor institutions, which is really enormous. Uh, considering the need, but we're not done. Mm -hmm. And there's more work that needs to be done. Um, The the PCC and SBA projects were both also very valuable. They were smaller dollar projects, not investing in infrastructure, but helping to promote public computer centers, uh, helping to stimulate broadband adoption. I think NTIA has said that those projects led to another 500,000 broadband adoption, Mm -hmm. so 500,000 more homes now subscribed to broadband because of BTOP
3: that mm-hmm. didn't have
2: it before. So that, again, is, is really important progress. Uh, there are something like 30 million people who, uh, or 30 million homes that, that still don't have broadband yet. So there's still, there a long way to go as well. But again, the BTOP program um, made a lot of progress. And your question really is what's next, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that's next is learning from these BTOP projects. Um, what worked, what didn't work, and try to build on that for the next round. And I I think the next round is now shifting to the FCC Mm -hmm. because we can't expect Congress to be appropriating a lot of new money uh, to replicate the BTOP program. We'd love for that to happen, but it doesn't seem to be in the cards right now. But the FCC could. The FCC has this uh, $8.5 billion universal service fund, Mm -hmm. and that's $8.5 billion per year that it controls. Mm-hmm. So, uh, E-rate is just one component of, the, of that um, Universal Service Fund, and there's the Connect America Fund, there's the Rural Health Care Program, there's the Lifeline Program. So, these four different sub-programs that the FCC is is uh, in the midst of reforming. Um, and there were great opportunities there to sort of incorporate some of the principles of BTOP into the FCC's administration of the Universal Service Fund. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that the Shelby Coalition is suggesting, is that we really ought to try to promote more capital investment uh, in uh, building out last-mile uh, facilities that will sort of build off of the top middle-mile mm-hmm. investments, but extend the reach of those middle-mile networks directly to the home okay. or to the anchor institution. That's where we think things ought to go. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that this was a uh, an area
1: of concern and that is the RUS programs was, were, were driving a lot of <clears throat> last mile. And then you've got the middle mile uh, programs that were driven by BTOP. But if you look at the, at the overall map, there did not seem to be, you know, by just virtue of the time in which this, these two programs had to be executed, that there was a lot of cross-pollinization, mm, per se. Right. So you have middle mile networks that are built out but there's not a lot of last mile. And you've got these last mile projects that are in different parts of the universe. As this goes forward, right, as we either find more money via uh, the FCC or, you know, the Department of Agriculture still does the types of loan programs that it does, will there be somebody responsible for a greater coordination of middle and last mile so that you don't have... Uh, you know, you, you complete a last mile
2: network and then people are like, well, then who's, who's at the last mile? Yeah. You know, yeah. You know I don't know. Um, I think that's really the job for the states mm-hmm. uh, to, to do that coordination. Um, you know, we've talked to a lot of these state broadband uh, officials through the SBI program, another component of the BTA program. But these are the state broadband mapping and, and state broadband planning officials. Um, they've done a lot of good work to gather the information about the extent of broadband in their states, but there's a lot more work that needs to be done to develop state-by-state plans. Mm -hmm. Um, As I said earlier, there's a national broadband plan, we don't really have a lot of state broadband plans, and Mm -hmm. we ought to. And that would be – ideally, the state broadband plan would look across the universe at at, – The BTOP programs also look at the Universal Service Fund programs from the FCC, look at their own state programs that they have. Some of the communities have their own programs as well. Try to integrate a a public-private partnership kind of approach Mm -hmm. that would bring all these parties together.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Equipment manufacturers, public interest organizations, uh, uh, cellular tower people because uh, uh, often you can build fiber to the cell tower, and mm-hmm. then that becomes, again, a distribution point for more fiber later. So there's a whole universe of, of things and, and uh, people that need to be brought together for a really thoughtful solution.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and that's what I'm I'm hoping for, and that may be a next role for Shelby is to try to promote more state broadband planning or state broadband plans in particular.
1: Right, because the, the state broadband planning seemed to be – Uh, somewhat disjointed in terms of how it's happened. The best that I think came from the stimulus is that you had these broadband adoption uh, programs, and in some states, I know California is one of those, they took their $2 million or whatever that chunk was per state, and they created these broadband consortiums or consortia, I forget my my Latin at the moment, but they... (laughs) Uh, they created these consortia to try to somehow, you know, coordinate a bunch of activities that would somehow look like a concerted effort. Um, mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings on this in large part because it's not a lot of money. I mean, when you, when you say it's $2 million and everyone gets all excited, I mean, you take a state the size mm-hmm. of Texas or California and, you, you, you know, you create these consortia, there's not a whole lot of money to do a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. But what it seems to cry out for is a greater state-coordinated effort, a greater uh, input of state resources. And then you have, just that from Minnesota, I, I think it's probably one of the uh, leading states that has a very clear, at least clearly stated, broadband vision mission for the next uh, five years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have some of these things happening in in a couple of other states, somewhat disjointed. But if Shelby could create a a network of um, state organizations, Mm -hmm. and then those state organizations could maybe provide like a focal point of attack, if you will, to try to get the states on board with something more coordinated, I think that would be a great um, I think that would be of great value to the state, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because some where, where the states are progressive, as in the case of Minnesota, maybe the need is not anywhere near as great, or maybe the need is more along the lines of, you know, just implementation and mm-hmm. advancing what's happening from the Minnesota group that's, that's spearheading their effort. But you yeah. take a state like, uh, you know, maybe Mississippi or, I mean, even California that that could use more, concentrated focused planning then Shelby could maybe be the bridge to, to be able to do that I mean it's just a thought
2: of yeah you know, how, how that might go well I mean I, I don't think Shelby can can actually uh, write these plans that that's really the state's role but you know we can prod them we yes. can sort of be the idea uh, uh, people to sort mm-hmm. uh, of generate and sponsor the ideas, and and try to encourage states. To, you know, maybe we create a state scorecard or something like mm-hmm. that, or put them all on our website. And and those states that have a plan, will post it and we'll praise them. And those states that don't have it, well, <laughs> <laughs> they won't look so good. Yeah, right. Kind of. Uh,
1: Motivation by embarrassment you know? <laughs> right, you know, once in a while those things will work, you know if done properly yeah um, yep. you know very, very interesting now one of the uh you know sort of another que- you know question of what happens next involves uh computing centers and broadband adoption programs, which were um, funded via the stimulus. The states had the latitude of how they were going to actually execute those, mm-hmm. you know, and different states obviously did this differently. But a universal question is, what happens to a program that inherently doesn't have a uh, a, a natural financial sustainability mechanism, right? If I build a network you know, by default, you're selling services or you're finding, you know, ways to get subscribers, there is at least an understood that there's going to be a mechanism for financial sustainability. I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of why it exists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at a computing center, or you look at some state's broadband program, there is no inherent revenue generation built in that. Yeah. So yeah. what do you envision will happen in a lot of these states once those funds are used up for computing centers, for uh,
2: broadband adoption programs? Well, I think, unfortunately, a lot of those public computer center programs and state broadband adoption programs are are going to be going away. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them have found some funds to continue their operations, and that's really exciting, and we're glad that they've been able to do so. Uh, other programs have been trying to develop that source of funding and haven't found it yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, there are some other programs out there, like the uh, Connect to Compete program, I guess renamed now Everyone On, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and the Comcast Intranet Essentials program is also promoting broadband adoption. So there are some efforts there, but it's really going to be at this stage up to the state and communities to put the resources into keeping those programs going, because you're right, the that their operations don't lend themselves. I mean, they don't charge fees to people right. to take their training. Right. This mm-hmm. is really trying to address the low-income people, seniors uh, who need need help and they can't afford to pay for the for that help. So, mm-hmm. uh, but those are the ones who are most needy, the most right, the most, exactly, most, who need it the most. Really, mm-hmm. I should say. Now, that's not true of the network, the broadband network. Most of the B money went to build fiber networks right. largely, and those programs are. are so far, done very well, right? In in developing customers and finances to sustain themselves, right? So I think that's those projects are probably going to last for decades, mm-hmm. uh, and that's very exciting. And most of the that four billion dollars that NTIA administered, I think three billion of that went to support these networks. So that's mm-hmm. a real positive, long-term, uh, likely to be a success story.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but the the the, the PCT and SBA projects, that's a mixed report card, I think, so far. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I'm going to – I know that you have to go, and we have a second guest in the queue. Uh, um, but I'd like to get your, your feedback on this item. I just heard it at lunch, actually, uh, an hour or so ago. And it was from, uh, let's see, in Florida, the um, uh, Florida A&M University. And the gentleman that I, that, I was having, that I was sitting with at lunch talked about how at the beginning of his program, uh, he knew that in you know, X time, the money was going to run out.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so what he did was took this interim time, the three, four years, to train and certify his staff that was running the computing center to be engineers, and, you know, mm-hmm. a particular discipline within the engineering realm because he was aware of the fact that the university outsources certain engineering services. So he basically trained his people to be engineers qualified to be able to do that work, then went to the college and said, we've got these people in place. We're part of the university. We're providing these uh, you know, valuable services to the community around the, 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 the university. How about if you bring all of that outsourced work in-house and they've agreed, the university has agreed, and now he's looking at uh, financial sustainability. And mm-hmm. it kind of blew my mind, you know, mm-hmm. when I was listening to it. I don't know if you've heard anything similar to it, but, you know, what, what's your thought on a, on a, you know, creative reach like that?
2: Oh, well, that's, uh, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, so so really, if we could do that on a more nationwide scale, it would be turning this over to the universities mm-hmm. to try to, and a lot of universities, face it, are in, um, you know, are in inner cities mm-hmm. and are in neighborhoods, maybe located in neighborhoods that really could use some help. And I think this was somewhat the vision of GigU, yes. too, mm-hmm. that, you know, build to the uh, universities, but then not just have it stop at the end of the campus, right? but have that network be available to the surrounding neighborhoods. And so I think there's a really positive, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to take this idea okay, <laughs> and, and try to run with it, because the university angle, they could really be a, a you know, those public-spirited universities could really do a lot of good, and they've got the, the know-how, the technical mm-hmm. expertise. They've got the personnel, you know, that still requires some budget authority, but maybe they're in a position to, to put some money towards this and increase the value of their, their surrounding community. And, and actually, that if they're smart, that increases the value of the university. Right, you know, right, exactly. It makes that more attractive for students and parents, to send their students to these universities if mm-hmm. the surrounding neighborhoods are well well fibered or well well broadbanded right exactly connected can't worry looking at
1: and i think that you know that kind of thing i think your idea of you know how can we clone that is is a great idea you know in, in the last 2 weeks i've had uh, some folks on the show that have had wireless uh, programs that the target toward underserved communities and uh, several other um, programs that were community-based and what came out of the discussion was the need to connect with similar organizations because you have pockets of stuff happening in Kansas City in Chicago and and somehow let these folks know what the others are doing mm. you know so that you can basically swap ideas but take the good ideas and basically replicate those, yeah. you know? And I yeah. think uh, Sterling, um, uh, Sterling Adams was the, uh, was the gentleman that I was speaking with. And I think, you know, from, from his perspective, you know, I'm, I'm speaking for him now, and I actually have him on my show, so he'll validate <laughs> my, my comment, which is I think that, you know, someone like him who has come up with something really creative would probably be, you know, delighted to see that replicated because yeah. it means that his success – in Florida now can have, you know, an impact beyond, you know, his his particular region. So, right. so I think that picking up this is a, a positive kind of replication or, you know, adopting of other successful ideas mm-hmm. that could be, uh, that could be extremely valuable. So, um, you know, in conclusion, I guess, you know, the, the, the summation of this is that um, we are at a, points where uh money for various programs are running out and people are now transitioning but it sounds like folks are transitioning well and Shelby as well is making a transition mm-hmm. so that it is facilitating what's happening around it sort of taking on that so that living organism kind of <laughs> uh you know it's not a static bureaucracy you know it's not a static nonprofit but it is a very dynamic one that's adapting to continue to advance the mission of, uh, you know, getting these anchor institutions uh, both connected and a contributing force within broadband
2: efforts within the states. Well, that's our dream. That's our goal, Craig, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. I mean, Shelby (laughs) right now has only two staff people. Right. So uh, we're not going to change the world on our own, but I think we can help to – uh, help to change the dynamic or mm-hmm. set in motion or, or really build on some of the momentum of the FCC's National Broadband Plan, build on the momentum of BTOP. And we don't want to just let it die mm-hmm. because there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Right. And uh, But to the extent that we can help facilitate these gatherings, convenings, uh, prod for new ideas. Uh, and you just gave me a new one, which I can <laughs> see how far <laughs> we can run with that. Okay. But it's a really exciting time. We're really energized. And when, when we see the, the turnout of the conference today, it gives us an extra boost of energy to mm-hmm. say, yes, you know, this, there's, a, there's a, a community here that really does care about these issues. Right. And if we can um, just marshal our resources, and, our, our resources and direct them in the right way, we could do an, an enormous amount of good. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. I wish you much continued
1: success, and thank you also for having me as part of the program. We had a great workshop yesterday. Everybody was jazzed and I was jazzed. It was just a good Meeting of the mind and people you know hungry for knowledge because they had brought uh broadband you know, a long way in each of their respective areas, whether they were a private sector company, which we had a couple of, there were several libraries, and then there were they're just, there were community organizations. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this effort, you know, should be looked at as, you know, extremely
2: positive and should definitely, definitely continue. Yeah, so. I agree. I heard some very good feedback about your workshop yesterday. So yeah, coming of, out of that. I have good jokes, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I should say Patty's here to continue yes. this progress from Kindle, and I think that's another good example. Of a exactly. A very successful project.
1: So have a great rest of your day. I'll, I'll yeah. see you around. I mean, okay. we here for another, another day and a half, so, you know, we'll talk some more. So thank you very much for being on the show.
2: Sounds good, Craig. My pleasure. Alrighty. Take care. Okay.
1: So, so we've we heard from, from John, and he's given us a good overview of the, the Shelby organization and the conference and, you know, progress of what's going on with some of the broadband projects in general. What I also wanted to do in this show is look at a, a, pro, a program in particular, and it's one actually that I have uh, experience with because I spoke at their uh, conference a year ago in Pittsburgh when they wrapped up their, their broadband project, and it was a very awesome thing to behold. And so I invited Patricia Campbell, who is the Director of External Relations for Brace yourself; it's a long uh, title. But the Keystone Initiative for Network-Based Education, or TIMBER for short, not to be confused with Timber. And uh, we, I, I brought her on the show because I wanted to talk about the program. And it's you know it's from my home state, and I got to go back to my hometown. Uh, uh, sort of a slight uh, size mission there, and. Uh, so, so, Patty, welcome to the show, and, and thank you for being on today.
3: Thank you, Craig. I appreciate it, and uh, you know, I love to hear your serious voice <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about projects and things. And yeah, I mean, Kinber has been an amazing opportunity for for me personally, but also for Pennsylvania.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I guess just to recap the project, we were awarded uh, the sixth largest B-Top award in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got 99.6 million dollars, and we matched that with 29 million in Private and uh, partner money to build uh, 1,600 miles of fiber optic cables throughout Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. We touched 51 and to 67 counties, and as we move on, we've already added another 200 miles mm-hmm. of uh, fiber to our network. We've got 70 node sites, and we're just you know we're just adding and uh, we are. We really are. It's it's been an exciting and wild ride. Uh Um, You know, we are truly a public-private partnership that has excelled because of the people behind the project and Mm -hmm. the support we've gotten in the community. Um, You know, I I could go on and on about the the, the staff and and our board and how supportive our partners have been. Um, You know, it's just – it's been a great experience for us, and I think that the implications in Pennsylvania, you know, for the next generation, Mm -hmm. you know, to have this next-gen broadband network all across Pennsylvania um, is really just limitless. You know, okay. And I think you know, what people don't understand about Pennsylvania, you do, you're yes. from there.
1: Yes, indeed.
3: But people don't understand how rural Pennsylvania is.
2: And it
1: is that. <laughs> right. You know, there's Pittsburgh and there's uh, Philadelphia right. and there's just miles of rural in between. I mean, there's there, just no other way to describe there
3: it. There is. And it's mountainous and it's, you know, farmland and, you know, building uh, fiber where there aren't even poles was really a challenge for us. And, right. you know, we had a great construction partner in Sinesis who, who delivered our project on time, on budget, you know, even though we had a couple rough winters. Um, you, know, you know me. I'm very positive. I right, have right. To say. <laughs> and, and the density that exists in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, you know, those are hubs, but everything in between, you know, we've got three rings that go across the entire commonwealth. Um, and just trying to connect up all the rural places, the places that are underserved. And what we've seen actually is our, our anchor institutions, um, as John was saying, you know, they're really public-spirited mm-hmm. and public-minded, and they're working with us to build out to provide services to their communities mm-hmm. um, and providing access to the local libraries or the small groups that maybe couldn't afford to, to access you know high-speed broadband that mm-hmm. we're bringing to to their communities and you finished both on time and under budget didn't you if i remember yes, correctly yes we did yes yes yes
1: <laughs>
0: and, that,
3: and that's a great thing you know we mm-hmm. we've been um blessedly successful um and thrilled about it and as you said last june you know when we had our coming out party and mm-hmm. talking about finishing the project uh anthony wilhelm from mtia came yep. and, and uh, spoke and uh you know it's just it feels good to, to do that and the community has really rallied around us because of that.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: and we we had a very successful conference 2 weeks ago in Harrisburg. Oh that's right
1: you did do it again and you were in yep. Harrisburg this yep. time.
3: Yeah. And like John was saying, you know, we've got record attendance, people are talking, people are collaborating, you know, we had a, a number of vendors that came and were just thrilled about the opportunity that we're bringing, you know, we're bringing jobs, we're bringing opportunity, um and just, you know, What's happening in Pennsylvania is people are talking, Mm -hmm. and I'm really excited about what John was saying with the state um, Shelby Opportunities to really get people to talk within their states because I don't know that that's happening everywhere right and and we've been able to do that because we're statewide and we have such a broad constituency We've been able to bring people together and talk. And at our conference, you know, we, we basically had to pull them away from each other to attend sessions <laughs> and, and participate in other things because the, the energy was just, you know, palpable. It was just so exciting. And it's broadband. I mean, it's technology, mm-hmm. right? It's I mean, it's not a sexy thing, but um, it, it really – is amazing what it can bring together for people and the opportunities. You know, everything that we've heard here at the Shelby event, as far as, you know, underserved areas and education and libraries, and it's just we we are touching the future. Mm-hmm. You know, we are really coming together to do amazing things, and there's so many anticipated outcomes when right. you bring broadband to a community.
1: Mm-hmm. So what would you say is the, you know, primary causes or things that generated your success. Because I mean most most of the B top programs actually were, as John mentioned, they were successful. I mean right. there were a couple that were a little squirrely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there was always there was there was always that voice uh, at the beginning of the program and during the program well government can't do anything right and everybody moaned mm-hmm. about, you know, so much money. But you were obviously successful and there are obviously folks who were maybe eyeing you know, similar kinds of aggressive projects like this. What's the what's the key to success? I mean, we are talking 1,600 miles. You say 40 counties, 30 counties,
3: 51 out of 67. Right.
1: So you're talking multiple jurisdictions and all oh, the yeah. politics and cat herding trauma that goes with that. <laughs> yes.
3: How do you how all do you cap. make that successful? Well, you know, I think I think your partners are are what make you successful. Synesis, you know, has. Um, great relationships in Pennsylvania they were with us you know through thick and thin, and really were able to get the job done. Um, I think our board has just been pushing along and pushing along and doing what they can um, but I, I think just you know we were formed to do this project our non mm-hmm. we were we chose to create a nonprofit that was member driven we're more of a cooperative our members speak and we listen and I really believe that you know what's the quote that you know a, a small group of committed people are the mm-hmm. only ones that can really get something done. And I think that's what we are in Pennsylvania. We really brought people together, and it was sort of, you know, everyone shared the workload. And mm-hmm. I think that's what made it us successful, the partnership.
1: So you uh, you uh, are you technically a co-op?
3: No, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. So
1: it's a nonprofit, okay. Yep,
3: we are a nonprofit. But it is a
1: cooperative effort, but it is a nonprofit member-driven effort.
3: Correct. Okay. Our, our board makes the decisions. They listen to our members. And our, our board is made up of our membership. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, um, they definitely are involved in everything. I mean, we had challenges, certainly. You know, right. In the beginning, we were seen as a competitor by all the other providers. Um, and I think that um, – in time, we have shown that we're more a cooperator, if
2: mm-hmm. that is such a
3: word, you uh-huh. know, that, that they now they, – they see that, you know, we have this big middle mile asset, and we need help with the last mile to connect more people and to penetrate more areas. So we've been partnering with people that maybe were naysayers in the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, you know, we, we, um, we certainly are increasing who's on our network, and our model is the more people that we can connect, the better it is for everyone, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the more collaborative um, and, and hopefully the cheaper the price,
0: mm-hmm. you know.
3: So um, I'm not really sure uh, as far as what else, as far as success. I think we just were right-minded and, you know, collaborated well, with the right people. Right. But, I mean, I think that um, this
1: combination of the, uh, the partners, the business structure, and, and building bridges is uh, is very important to the to that whole question of what leads to uh, success when we when we talked in the workshop yesterday about uh, you know how do you get a project moving forward in such a way that will be successful um, the the discussion about partnerships I think struck a big and a major chord uh, with folks because you know they were seeing, the range of partnerships, you know, this this right. our discussion was a very, you know, here are the ranges of funding options. Here are these ranges of business structures that you can possibly build. And, and here are the various types of, of partners. And, and I think that discovering that they had these options uh, was, considered a, was considered a big deal.
3: Absolutely. And and I'll take a step back and say, you know, there are 30 plus other research and education networks across the nation. Mm-hmm. So we certainly aren't first to the, to the trough. You know, we're, right. we're sort of stepping in the footsteps of our tribal elders and following, you know, leaders like the Merit Network and MCNC down in North Carolina mm-hmm. and and Lou at Scenic, you know, watching mm-hmm. what they did and learning. Um, so we weren't starting from from the ground and building up. We were really on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. So we've learned a lot. Um, I think we're seen now as a facilitator, right? It's not about the network. Once the network is built, it's everything you can do with it. Mm -hmm. So we're seen as someone who can bring groups together, facilitate partnerships, facilitate um, conversations that maybe people wouldn't have had. We're seeing people share content, share um, personnel and services, and now we're looking at how we can aggregate the demand to do other things. Mm -hmm. You know, our members are healthcare, libraries, Education and that's K through 20. Um, we're looking at economic development, helping business parks bring business to um, rural areas. Um, you know, we're working with all different kinds of folks and trying to figure out what we can offer our members that's different and better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we've been able to do that. We've, we've formed a partnership with Merit Network to provide per, Merit Network to provide professional services. Um, and they
1: are what an ISP.
3: No, they're they're a Wren in in Michigan. Oh, okay. They've been around for, for 50 years doing what we're doing, so we're learning, you know, and they provide services. We're a small, nimble staff. Um, they're already doing it well, so we're partnering with them to provide our members great services.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, we're also working, you know, in public-private partnerships with uh, groups like Xand, which is a company that provides disaster recovery, co-location cloud services to mm-hmm. our members. Mm-hmm. And because our members... To, at a Kimber discounted rate. So we're starting to see that bulk purchasing for our members is something. And, again, it's not about the network, but it's what the network facilitates. Mm-hmm. So there are so many unanticipated positive outcomes of being involved with Kimber and on the Penran network.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're, you're really talking about um, minimizing your, your conflict and maximizing your uh, – your, your, your partnership, your, your um, right. collaboration. Right.
3: We are a true partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and getting people to talk when maybe they wouldn't before. And, again, you know, bringing people together and having them them understand that, you know, they they are all in this together. And it, it is better for Pennsylvania. It's better for the students and the constituents and, you know, the state agencies because this is such an opportunity that these BTOP funds brought. I mean, when when we started building, we saw... Broadband rates go down across Pennsylvania for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, because we brought another level of, of I guess, competition. But we saw adoption rates increase. We saw speeds increase and prices go down. So no matter what you say about this program and this project, it had a great impact on Pennsylvania as far as parity and access and, and what people are able to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So what keeps
1: um – what keeps everything moving forward now? I know that when you're in the midst of the project, you Mm -hmm. have, uh, well, with the stimulus project, you basically had all kinds of deadlines. You had to perform Mm -hmm. by such a time and do and so forth and so on. Now you don't have that, right? You don't have the same driver, right? right? Uh, So what is it that unifies and motivates and moves things forward in a timely fashion?
3: So... Uh, sustainability, right? The more people we get on the network, the better off we are, and the, the more that we can do. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. Um, I think personally, for me, um, I'm fortunate to be out in the field talking to people about Penren, our network,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, you know, and what it means. And I will tell you, Craig, that every time I talk to someone, even the naysayers that say we don't need high speed, <laughs> you know, broadband, we don't do research, or you know, we're just a small library. After we talk to them and give them examples,
0: mm-hmm. you
3: literally see the light bulb go off over their head, and they go, oh, my God, I can do this, and I don't have to worry about – for example, we were talking to, with um, a, a county government person who said that their 24-hour backup takes 25 hours, and it really is a problem on their network because they mm-hmm. don't have the speed to move things how they need to. Mm-hmm. And you know, we explained that we've got uh, a 30-gig backbone, and segments of that are being promoted up to 100-gig. And, you know, just to see the wheels turn as far as, as her saying, oh, so I could offload all of this and not even think about it anymore. You know, we talked to colleges and universities that have actually redeployed their technical staff because they don't have to worry about watching the paint dry anymore mm-hmm. with the slow speed. Mm-hmm. They're able to do so many other things because they don't have to worry about things that they had to worry about before they were using our network.
1: Mm-hmm. But, by the way, um, is is that Sound part of your... Realm. I, I I can't remember now if it is or it isn't Sure. Cambria yes. County. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. that's where I used to live. So I, I, this know. is so, this is so this is like selfish interest right here. I'm just like well, <laughs> so You've got to you build
3: there now, huh? right?
1: Because you know I have a lot of um my, I've started to reconnect on Facebook with some of my grade school friends because that's actually the time that I was there. Wow. exciting! But uh you know because I, I I when I was um, back there in Pittsburgh, actually I, I did a little side trip to to Johnstown. And, and met with the, um, the, the county point person who has been driving their broadband effort actually before the stimulus started. And, um, and, and we were talking about, you know, the, the, the situation in, in Pennsylvania, or that part of Pennsylvania. And, you know, he brought this map. He's on, he's on the show. I got him on the show, obviously, so we're going to do a little hometown broadcast <laughs> thing there. And, you know, he, he plops down this map. Those radio, you couldn't see it, but trust me on this one. So you look at the map, <laughs> And it was just the amount of wilderness area, mm-hmm. right? So it basically, right off the bat says, uh, fiber is is going to not really impact this county. Okay. Because once you got the fiber line into Johnstown, the whole rest of Cambria County was like wilderness, mm-hmm. you know? And they you talk about right. this, you'd, you'd go on a field trip, and you wouldn't see people for, you know, stretches of time. And, um... That's a lot of what, uh, you know, Pennsylvania is in terms of, of terrain and so forth. What's the, you know, the expectation of the folks in those rural, um, those rural areas? Because as I remember Johnstown, you know, from when I was there, there was a lot of, um, you know, older folks, definitely conservative very much about, you know, tradition. We've done this the same way for the last 150 years, right. you know. We don't need
3: that Internet thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what was their
1: expectation? Because, you know, now obviously you have the adoption issue. Right. How do you, how do you adopt in that realm? Or how do you drive adoption well, in that realm? Well,
3: I, I have two answers for you. Okay. So, so first of all, last mm-hmm. mile is everybody's problem, right? You know, we mm-hmm. built this unbelievably robust middle mile network. But it's the exit ramps, as we call them, Mm -hmm. you know, getting into the communities. So we've been working with different providers to look at, you know, um, fiber build sometimes is the best way to go, but not always. Mm -hmm. Um, We're looking at partnering with existing providers, which makes a lot of sense. You know, if if they are in the community but maybe don't have the speeds that we do, we can partner with them. And we're working with some groups that are doing wireless. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that is always – or that is sometimes the best solution. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to provide people with opportunities to understand how it is that they can connect. Um, And the other thing, I don't know if you and John talked about the Connect America Fund, um, but that's something that we're looking at as far as, you know, looking for money to really connect underserved areas in Pennsylvania. Um, We identified 23 counties, but I think we're going to expand that and looking at, you know, multiple tens of millions of dollars to build, last mile into those areas that you're talking about where Mm -hmm. where they don't have access but what what we've learned over the build years is that while we're building to those places that don't have access, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of folks on the way. (laughs) So to really you know have the conversations, coordinate what we're doing and think strategically about where we're bringing our fiber and where we're taking our network. You know, it's, it's the, the rising tide rises all, lifts all ships. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's really what, what we're seeing and doing and we're seeing communities come together that, you know, we we were calling it the community solution where there are pockets of folks that, you know, there's a, a champion Mm -hmm. in an area who brings people together, brings people to us and we're learning again That, you know, if we do one build to 10 places, it's a whole lot cheaper for all of them than 10 builds to one place. (laughs) And, you know, getting people to talk is not always easy. But, again, you see the light bulb and it it makes a lot more sense. You know, that aggregate demand is what we're all about. Mm -hmm. So I I think we have multiple solutions and, you know, it's just a matter of of getting there. Mm -hmm. So uh,
1: we've got about, I don't know, three minutes to go. Um, How do you get champions? You know, I mean, people who will lead the charge and be there, because one of the points we brought up last, or yesterday was you come to town, you get everybody psyched, and then you leave. And then after about two weeks, the psych goes away as everyone starts to realize how much work it is and how many challenges they have. And, and, and it's the need of the champion that is going to determine your success. How do you find those and in that environment that you guys are working in?
3: Well, I think it starts you know at the board level, quite honestly. You know, our board is spread around the Commonwealth, okay. and I think in their communities, they beat the drum and get people excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they bring us, you know, to the libraries and to the health care centers and to the economic development groups and public safety. and you know they've been really wonderful about aggregating that demand. Um, and then there are just folks that get it. You know, Stacey Aldrich, who is on our board, mm-hmm. the state librarian, mm-hmm. she came from California.
1: That's who I met earlier today. Yes. Yes, yes, okay. yes Stacey.
3: Uh-huh. And um, so she gets it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So
3: she, the first thing she did when she came to Pennsylvania was a technology survey of all the libraries.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, and being on our board, it's just such a natural fit. We did an overlay of where the libraries are and where our network goes. And, mm-hmm. you know, so she is our library champion, and she gets people excited about the promise of Penren. Um, but there are other people in the community that have been waiting mm-hmm. and hoping and talking about, you know, the impact that broadband. People that just get it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: once we sync up with them, it's like, you know, a fire's been lit. Right, <laughs> you know? okay. We just we just come together and it, it's just, it's, it's almost magic to watch. It really is. And it's, again, it's the best part of my job to see people get it mm-hmm. and buy into it. We had one guy who said, you know, I, I watched your fiber go down the street outside of our organization. Mm-hmm. They said I had goosebumps because I understood what it meant to our community. Mm-hmm. And those things get you. Right. You know? i keep dragging you back. Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. I like contemplate kind of the next trip back and see, you know, where where we're gonna go and, and, and so So it has been um obviously a positive journey. Absolutely. What's um what's next? I'm gonna ask you to ask answer the question in one minute. How about last-mile build-outs? What's driving those? Because that's a lot of people's questions.
3: Uh, people understand what it means to have high-speed next-gen broadband. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they're willing you know, – we've had groups that are willing to just fund the build because they understand that the investment – and that's what we talk about, your infrastructure investment – all, mm-hmm. all that comes out of it, it's a small amount of money going in mm-hmm. for the unbelievable benefits that you'll reap. Right. And, you know, and we, we have case study. We have white paper. We've seen everyone other, else do it. You know, it's not bad to have really high-speed access. <laughs> you know, it's a good investment.
1: Excellent. Well, we're going to have to, unfortunately, close uh, this session. And so I want to thank you for, for coming and being our guest today and Absolutely, talking Craig. about the Kinberg pro- uh, Project. Uh, at some point, I'll be back in town, so, you know, okay. and I won't I won't harass you to be on the show, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll get some folks there to talk about, you know, the progress as it continues to move forward. So, great, you know, great. Thanks, thanks. thank you for that. Keep and getting the
3: word out. I'll do
1: my best. Do my best. And to our audience, thank you so much for listening again, and uh, we'll be back next me- week with more great content. Have a wonderful day. Talk to you soon.